Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. And if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 19, Leviticus 19. It's very interesting what happens here because, you know, you have further instructions, further statutes for the people of the Lord to follow. Now, I have to say, you know, this is the law. Okay, but there are things that we can glean from from the law in understanding the nature and character of God. Remember, he never changes. It's culture that has changed. I like to think of the law and grace, and I mean, no disrespect in saying this, but, you know, I, I, I had a dog, okay, uh, uh, and, and my dog, when she was young, she was a little, little tiny puppy, beautiful, beautiful little puppy, and she'd frolic and run around all over the place just as a free bird. And then she got like, you know, a couple weeks older. And then I started to do crate training. And, you know, I, I was a little, little bit more strict with her. And then once she understood my rules for her, the rules of my home, so to speak, then, you know, the crate just became history. Because, you know, she wouldn't have any accidents in the house. She wouldn't act up, you know, being all crazy. And it's so beautiful because that's what I think about when I think about Holy Scripture. It's like if you look at Eden and you look at you look at Paradise Lost and Paradise Gained in Genesis and Revelation, and you know it's like uh, no law and then law and then no law. And when I say no law, it's the law of Christ. So under grace is the law of Christ. Paul writes about this, which we're going to study hardcore in Romans. But that's what I like to think of. I'm not equating anybody to dogs. I'm not saying, you know, uh, Jews are dogs, Christians are dogs. I'm not saying anybody's a dog. But that's how I like to think of, you know, uh, uh, before the Ten Commandments were given verbally. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given three times. Verbally, and then the two tablets which were destroyed, and then another set of two tablets. So, three times. And then the third time was with blood, the sacrifice. Very important to understand these things. What do we have now? You know, the, the Jesus Christ came. You know, he died. He rose again. He lives. And then at the same time, you have uh, uh, the word of God, which became flesh. And now we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is proclaimed verbally. But he's coming back again. He's coming back again. And it's going to be a time of judgment. That's why you see, like you read the book of Joel, it's like, you know, the, the day of the Lord isn't a good thing. And then you read Brother Peter's writing, and he says the day of the Lord is a good thing. And so you read it, like, well, what is it? Is the day of the Lord a bad thing, or is it a good thing? Well, it depends on you. It depends on you. Do you have the blood of the Lord over the doorpost of your heart? You know, praise be to the Lord. If you don't, you're in trouble. <laughs> Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it's so beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. And so that's what I like. to These statutes that the Lord gives us in, in, in chapter 19, it is the law. But we have an understanding of the character of our Lord. And so let's look at verse 1 here. And the Lord spoke to Moses Saying, now I have to say this too, it's very Proverbs-esque. The next several chapters that we're going to be in, it's very Proverbs-esque. You know, and what I love about that, when you read Proverbs, and you see it's like, you know, little uh, passages, little nuggets of truth, little nuggets of wisdom to live by. 
And you see a lot of correlation between, you know, the, the Proverbs and what's written here. And I love it in Scripture when things like that happen, when you see an alignment of these vessels, Moses and Solomon, so to speak. And you see it in the, in the New Testament as, to, as well. You see like Peter and Paul. You see these alignments of vessels where it's like, wow, you know, this. And, and these are vessels that are used of the Lord. And then you're just like, wow, you know what? You know, the, uh, Hosea reminds me of Amos in some regards. And so you have these alignments of vessels where the Lord is pouring into these vessels to be used. And that's when, you know, you see certain passages that are Proverbs-esque. And that's what we see here. Verse 2, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is, you know, the same thing that Moses says in previous chapters about, you know, be holy. Brother Peter writes to us as well in 1 Peter chapter 116. He says, be holy for I'm holy. Be holy for the Lord is holy. What is holiness? Read the Bible. Understand what holiness is. The Holy Spirit will teach you what holiness is. And so look what happens here in verse 3. Everyone, every one of you shall revere his mother and father. Translates as to fear and have reverence for his mother and father. You start to see, you know, I've we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago, but you know when you talk to kids from broken homes, and they're like, wow, I'm supposed to revere my mother and father. No, you have respect for them. You know, if, you know, I talk to a kid from a broken home and they're like, how am I supposed to revere my dad when he beats on my mom? How am I supposed to revere my mom when she's on drugs? Well, have respect for their position, their authority. You know, revere the Lord. Understand that what we're looking at here, this is the law, but this is the very, very, very early stages of the law and it is given unto the people. And we're going to see as we study in future chapters, and, you know, it's probably going to take several years where we're going to, you know, study in the Chronicles, in the Kings, and we're going to see mistakes that people make, that kings make, that priests make, that dads make, that moms make, that kids make. And then we're going to understand because we have this uh, foundation of the law, this understanding of the law, then we're going to understand why the Lord takes the course of action that he does. And not only that, and all those times that the course of action that he takes, there's always somebody in the midst saying that the Lord uses to say, hey, repent. Return to me, saith the Lord. Always. Anytime you see a period of judgment, you always see a period of grace right prior to judgment. And so he says in verse 3, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and keep my Sabbaths a day of rest. I am the Lord your God. You know, it's so interesting when you see these, like, for example, uh, in, in verse 2, at the end, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Verse 3, at the end, I am the Lord your God. Verse 4, I am the Lord your God. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Verse 12, I am the Lord. Verse 14, I am the Lord. 16, I am the Lord. 18, I am the Lord. 25, I am the Lord your God. Verse 28, I am the Lord. 30, I am the Lord. 31, I am the Lord your God. Verse 32, I am the Lord. 33, I am the Lord your God. Verse 36, I am the Lord your God. Verse 37, I am the Lord. Whoa. 
That is a lot. And it blows me away so much because, you know, when I first became a believer, I loved the Lord. Like, wow, Lord, you've done this for me. Wow, this is so cool. I'm not going to burn in hell. Wow, praise the Lord. I love you. But what I didn't know is the fear of the Lord. You know, and I love the Lord, but what happened? You know, I, I was hot, and then I, I wouldn't even say hot. I was lukewarm, and then I started to get cold again. I love the Lord, but I didn't have an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And I have to tell you something. The fear of the Lord is rarely taught. Sad, you know, it's sad that I have to say that. But the fear of the Lord is very rarely, rarely taught. A lot of times people learn the fear of the Lord through experience. Praise the Lord that they learn. But you know what? I think a lot of Christians get get into trouble. I think a lot of pastors present trouble when they do not teach, when they refuse to teach or fail to teach, either by negligence. They don't teach the fear of the Lord. I mean, imagine, you know, you have, uh, say you're an adult and you have a teenage kid that gets his or her driver's permit. And you say, okay, baby girl, I'm going to teach you how to drive. Baby girl gets in the car, you're in the passenger seat, and baby girl's in the driver's seat. And there's no brake pedal. You know what's going to happen? Something very wrong is going to happen. Harmful. To baby girl and you and possibly somebody else that she hits, she gets in an accident with. And that's why, you know, you see a lot of times from the pulpit, the love of the Lord is taught, which is a beautiful thing. But don't forget, there's two sides to every token, the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the very, very beginning of wisdom. So you see all these passages, these verses. In one chapter, all these verses, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. It's everywhere. As I just read a little while ago. Remember who these people are. They just got you know, the, the exodus from Egypt. Rescued from the mightiest military power on the earth. The Lord destroyed them. Their history. The Egyptian army, the might of Egypt, gone. And now the Lord is teaching the people, Israel. I mean, when you're like when you're first born again, you have immense love of the Lord. Imagine Israel. You know, in love with the Lord, like, wow, Lord, you know, we're free. Wow, Lord, we love you. But then now they have to learn the fear of the Lord and apply it to their own lives. And not just apply it to their own lives, but live it every day of their lives. And we're going to see in, you know, in, in future chapters where people start to fail at that. Remember, this is the law. But the concept is exactly the same for the new covenant believer. The fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord. And now, for you and me, we're spoiled. Why? Because we have the Helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit. 
the Paracletus. It's very important to understand and lock it in your mind, in your heart, the fear of the Lord. And a lot of people don't like to teach it because it's not a popular concept. You know, if, if you talk about the fear of the Lord, people might leave your church. You talk about the fear of the Lord, people might not be friendly with you anymore. Oh, I don't think God would do this. I don't. Whenever somebody tells me, I don't think God would do this, I don't think God would do that, immediately, you know, I have to analyze. And that's what I say to you too. You should analyze. I, should, I won't say you should analyze, you must analyze. And look at their lives and examine the fruit. You look at broken homes and somebody says, oh, I don't think God would do that. Well, look at what you're... Look at what you're subjecting your ears to. Where's the fruit of the Spirit in their own lives? Where's the fruit of the Spirit in their marriage, in their kids, in their home? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? And if you can't find any, you know what? In one ear, out the other ear. A lot of people say, I don't think God would do this, or I think God would do Well, you have to make an assessment. People say, oh, that's judging. You're not supposed to judge. It's biblical to judge. Not condemned to hell. But remember, there's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Only one is forbidden. Two are required. You have to make an assessment. You have to make a determination. You can't condemn anybody to hell. That's the Lord's job. And he doesn't want to do that. Which is why he's long-suffering today. Long-suffering right now. If you're not a believer and you're listening to my voice, he's long-suffering. Amen. Before the Lord gave me this task of teaching the Bible, I was very busy. Very, very busy. My conduct in the world. And even, even today, you know, I'm still very, very busy. But the Lord says, hey, I want you to teach my word. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to tell people how much I love them. And I'm stubborn too. So if you're a non-believer and you're listening to my words right now, I tell you the truth. The Lord told me to tell you He loves you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants closeness with you. You might have to turn off your TV. You might have to turn off your phone. You might have to, you know, stop going out and doing your party stuff. Well, you know, not might stop that, cut that out. And God, the creator of all things, told me to tell you that he loves you. And receive his son. And He loves you. But then at the same time, we have to understand all of us in the fold of Christ. The fear of the Lord. And this is something that we're going to see the people forget the fear of the Lord. And then we're going to see what happens. And you see, even in the New Testament, people forget the fear of the Lord. And we see what happens. And Paul writes letters to the church. Hey, cut it out. Peter writes letters to the church. Jude writes a letter to the church. And so look what happens here in verse 4. Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molded gods. This is like uh, 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 idolatry. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. So, you know, we have the Ten Commandments. 
But now you're starting to see these additives. Not additives, but like, well, they're additives, but then at the same time, it's to correlate and expound upon the originating commandment, which is, you know, don't have any graven images. Remember, the Ten Commandments were given three times, verbally, and then two tablets, which were destroyed, and then another set of two tablets with blood. Never, ever forget that the Ten Commandments were given three times. So, wow, it's kind of tedious. Well, no, it's necessary. Remember Paul, when he worked with the church in uh, uh, Philippi? You know, so you think these things are tedious? Well, for you, it's necessary. That repetitive nature. I mean, have you ever, you know, muscle memory? There's that concept of muscle memory. Have you ever taken an exam? If you hearken back to your school years and you memorize all these things and then you take the school exam and it's a piece of cake. Why? Because you've memorized it. Muscle memory. It's like boom, 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 piece of cake. You're done in 20 minutes. Recess. But if you don't study, you're there the whole time. You don't get to play. No recess. Why? Because you're at your table. You're like, man, I didn't study last night. I didn't study all week. I didn't study all month. And here I am. I'm, you know, you look out the window and you're like gazing, like looking at all your friends playing. And here you are stuck at a table. I'm having flashbacks. That was me. <laughs> and so look what happens here in verse 5. or So no idolatry. Verse 4. Do not turn to idols. Very interesting how he says, do not turn to idols in verse 4. So it's like they're facing the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you turn away from the Lord. The Lord says, don't do that. He says it to the church in Romans 1, which we're going to study hardcore pretty soon, a couple more weeks. People say, oh yeah, the Lord, you know, turned his back on me. No, the Lord never does that. People turn their back on the Lord. And the Lord sends messengers to say, hey, tell the people I love them. The Lord sends prophets, Old Testament, you know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, Zephaniah, Joel, all these people. Tell the people, remember me, remember, remember me. Look at the New Testament, all the disciples. And then, you know, disciples, they became apostles, messengers. They were students and then they were messengers. So when you think of disciples and apostles, just think of students and messengers. Very important to understand that. And don't forget how, you know, multitudes, you read John 6, and count the number of people in John 6, multitudes of people, thousands of people. The Lord fed all these people, beautiful. And then he starts walking, people are following him, and then he stops, turns around and says, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. You want more food. You want, the, you want the goodies. But you don't want what I have to tell you. And then thousands left. And then the, the multitudes, the thousands, became hundreds. And then he turns to the disciples. The people who wanted to learn from him. And then all of a sudden he teaches, he says more things, teaches them more truth. And then they leave. And then there's 12 left. Very interesting how, you know, the, the more intimate the Lord desires, there's something about our carnal nature which is repelling to that. That's why we have to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. Count the number, read John 6 and count the number of people. How thousands become hundreds become 12. And then when you keep reading, the 12 becomes zero. The 12 become 11 
because of Judas. And then the 11 becomes zero. Jesus Christ all alone. Then you get to Acts. And what happens? It starts to blow up again. When the disciples become apostles. The students become messengers. You see? And so let's look at here in verse 5. And if you sacrifice, and if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. The Lord doesn't want robots. No robots. Old Testament, no robots. New Testament, no robots. Today, no robots. Don't be a robot. If you think you can be saved through religion, you know, doing your whatever you do and, you know, for religious aspects, don't do that. It's relationship of your own free will. It's not works-based. And I used to be all about religion when I was a Catholic and the Lord rescued me from that cult. It's unbiblical. I could say the same for Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. I could say the same for, you read the Bible. The Word became flesh. And I used to be hardcore into religion. And when I started to read the Bible, it was like, whoa. What I've learned in, you know, when I was, my brief tenure in Catholic school. It's teachings of man. It's tradition. Then you read the Bible. And the Lord teaches us about worshiping Him in spirit and truth. And so look what happens here in, uh, uh, you know, if in verse five, if you offer, a, if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering, offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will, no robots. In verse six, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day, and on the next day, and if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. These are things that we studied in the earlier chapters of Leviticus, and you're going to see a lot of reiteration where the Lord repeats himself. And I love that, not just here in Leviticus, we're going to see it in Numbers, Deuteronomy, we're going to hear the prophets say these things, a lot of the re repetition. Just like Paul says to the church in Philippi, you know, you might think it's tedious, but for you it's good, it's safe. Does muscle memory. You know, you hear me repeat a lot of things over and over. I mean, if you've been listening for a while, like, wow, you know, I remember he said that before. He said that already. I remember he said that. He keeps saying this, this, this. He won't stop. And then you're like, man, he won't stop. That, that, that. Maybe you're frustrated. Why does he keep saying this? Boom, boom, boom. Because there's going to come a time in your walk where you're going to be tested. You're going to be put on, you know, uh, you're going to be uh, uh, scrutinized. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted, whatever. And because of the muscle memory, you know what's going to happen? Boom. I know this is wrong. So when my friend offers me crack, I'm going to say no. When my friend offers to go to a strip club, I'm going to say no. When this girl offers that, when this guy offers that, when you know, I'm going to say no. Because why? Muscle memory. You say, oh, that sounds works-based. No, it's not works-based. You think it's tedious, but for you, it is safe. It's muscle memory. And so look what happens here. In uh, verse 7. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it 
shall bear his iniquity. Very interesting what's ha- what's happening here because we, these are things that we studied already in the earlier chapters of Leviticus, especially you know the the uh, the concept of the third day. And we talked, you know, in correlation to Jesus Christ, what happened on the third day. And specific mention of a lot of things happening in, whole, in the entirety of Scripture. Specifically on the third day or in thirds. But you see in verse 8 when he says, Therefore everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity. You start to see the responsibility for the headship. Responsibility of the headship. Such as priests, such as kings, such as husbands, such as dads. In verse 7, if, it, if any of it is eaten on the third day, it is an abomination. In verse 8, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity. You see? The responsibility to not only know, but to also apply these things in our lives. And we're going to see the failure in future subsequent chapters. We're going to see the failure of the headship, the failure of the priests. And who suffers? Israel. You're going to see the failure of kings. And who suffers? Israel, the people. You're going to see the failure of husbands. And who, who suffers? The family. Wives, sons, daughters. These are things that we're going to see and understand. And so look what happens here in verse 8. He has, uh, in verse 8, uh, in the middle, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. Hallowed is a concept that we've lost in our culture today. It's holy. This offering unto the Lord, it's holy. Now, this is the Old Testament, but as New Covenant believers, Present uh, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And when your life is a burnt offering unto the Lord, a holy aroma unto Him, you know who's holy? The Lord is holy, certainly. But you know who else? You. And it's not you per se. You're just a vessel. It's Christ in you. You and Him being one. Intimacy with Him. You and Him. That's holiness. In our cultures today, we've lost this concept of holiness. We don't understand what holiness is. Why? Because it's not taught. Not only is it not taught, it's not lived. You see people attempting to teach it, but they themselves are hypocrites, hypocrisy. They attempt to teach holiness when they themselves are on crack. They attempt to teach holiness when they themselves are on pornography. They attempt to teach holiness when they themselves are cheating on their spouses. That's not how the equation works. The holy equation. You know, like math, 2 plus 2 is 4. But if you're a pastor or elder and you're attempting to teach holiness, but you yourself are on crack, going to the strip clubs, doing whatever, what you're trying to do is say 2 plus 2 equals 100. It doesn't work that way. The equation, it does not equate. The computation cannot be made. And the Lord gives us His recipe for righteousness. And the Holy Spirit testifies. You see, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so, look what happens here. In verse 8, He has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from His people. 
I have to say something about carnality, the carnal nature. Carnality, it kills holiness. Inside of you, inside of me. Carnality. That's the impact of carnality to holiness. Now, you flip the coin. Holiness kills carnality. Oh, I'm so carnal. I'm so carnal. I wish I didn't do this. I wish I didn't do that. You flip the coin. Be holy. What is holiness? Well, study the Bible. Learn these things. Apply these things in your life. Be obedient to the Word of God. Your friend calls you, hey, let's go do crack. You got to say no. Your other friend calls you, hey, let's go to the strip club. You got to say no. And learn holiness, not just learn holiness, but apply holiness. What is a vessel of the Lord going to be doing in a strip club? What is the vessel of the Lord going to be having sex with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten partners? What kind of vessel of the Lord is going to be high on crack? It's not a vessel of the Lord. When Paul writes to the churches, which, you know, we're, we're seeing Paul's experience in the book of Acts, but we're coming to a close. And now you're going to see Paul's exhortation to Christians, his warning to Christians, his urging to Christians. It can be boiled down to be holy, choose holiness. Peter's letters, be holy. These are things that need to be applied in our lives. Carnality kills holiness and holiness kills carnality. Now you have a choice. Which will you apply? In verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Very interesting what the Lord is teaching here to the people of Israel. Freshly out of Egypt. Well, not freshly, but you know, relatively freshly in the scope of time. Freshly out of Egypt. The exodus from Egypt. And then the Lord starts to teach them these things. To leave the corners of the field. To leave the gleanings or the leftover bits and pieces. Have you ever seen a wealthy person before? And sometimes you think like, wow, this guy's rich. And then you hang out with him. And then you realize, wow, he's blessed of the Lord. I thought he was just, you know, a rich guy or whatever. And then I started to hang out with him. And then I realized, wow, he's blessed of the Lord. Then you hang out with another rich guy and you realize, wow, you know, this isn't the Lord. This is his hand. He's greedy. He's stingy. If you're wealthy, don't be greedy. Don't be stingy. Praise the Lord. And if you're poor... You know, sometimes a lot of poor people, they look down on the wealthy. A lot of wealthy, they look down on the poor. Don't be that. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. Now, I got to say, there are few wealthy people I know that are Christians. But there are some. And what do they do? They send a lot of money to Christian organizations a lot of money bankrolling a lot of like, you know, financially underwriting, you know, a lot of exploits of the church across the globe. You know, and I'm not talking about, you know, having a private jet, you know, pastors who have their own private jets. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about organizations that go like a disaster organization, 
a big tornado comes into a town and then like the next day, boom, the organization is there and they're building up homes. You have a, a crew that goes out and works on the house and you have another crew that goes and comforts, comforts the family. Sets up a little mobile tent for them. Here, you can live here. Gives them food, gives them shelter. And immediately they're out there on the scene. Why? Because they have the funding. Who's funding? A lot of people. But then you have the high rollers, blessed of the Lord. And they're just saying, here, take this money. Go use it for the Lord's glory. So if you're poor, you know, don't look down on the rich. If you're rich, don't look down on the poor. God has no respecter of persons. Neither should you be. And so look what happens here. So the Lord is teaching them, you know, to keep a portion, leave the corners of the field leave the, and, and the gleanings, the leftovers, the bits and pieces. Have you ever seen a rich guy? Like, you know, it doesn't even have a rich guy, any person. You know, they say they have like a jar of quarters and then they drop the jar and they're trying to get like every little, like, wow, you know. But, you know, the Lord is saying, you know, leave the gleanings. Leave the, leave the gleanings from, of the harvest. You know, don't be stingy like, I got to get every little piece. I got to get every little piece. The Lord says, leave a little bit. And he explains why. He says in verse 10, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You think like, what? What is this? I mean, if you're a farmer, it's kind of like, you know what? I don't understand. I want to use every little piece. Now the Lord tells us why. In verse 10, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You see how beautiful this is? Provisions. God's special provision for poor people. He says you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. So provision for the poor and then, you know, the stranger. Like, you know, say for example, if there's a Canaanite. Not, a, not a, from Israel, not a Jew. A Canaanite. Who sees the camp of Israel. See, there's a Canaanite who's in the, the land of Canaan. Who hears, wow, the Egyptian army used to be so powerful, so mighty, but the God of Israel destroyed them. Who are these people? I worship these gods, but that God? Whoa. And say, for example, if you're a Canaanite, and you're like, you know what? I deny my gods, and I want to accept their God, because their God is God. Their God is the most high. And then all of a sudden you leave the Canaanite camp and you join yourself to the Israel's, Israel's camp. You're a stranger in their land. And you know what the Lord is saying? Welcome them. They're acknowledging, they're acknowledging me. Welcome them. Welcome the stranger. And if you're that Canaanite, like, you know, where do I fit in? I'm a Canaanite. I don't know anything about Hebrew culture. I just know that their God is God. Where do I fit in? And the Lord is saying, here, bring them in. Welcome them. Welcome the stranger. And you know what's so beautiful? We're going to study this when we get to the book of Ruth. The beautiful, beautiful Moabite woman. I almost said Noabite. <laughs> the Moabite woman. Beautiful, beautiful, a Gentile. And now she's grafted in. She she starts to, you're going to see this concept of the law, this teaching of the law, exemplified with, with uh, Ruth. And we're going to study this hardcore eventually. It's down the road. It'll probably be a while. But when we get there, we're going to hearken back to these passages and be like, wow, you know what? This is 
what the Lord taught. This is what's being applied. And look at how the Lord blesses. Remember, Deuteronomy 28, blessings for obedience. Blessings for obedience. And so look what happens here in verse 11. For you shall not steal. In the Hebrew, translates as to deceive and get by stealth. You shall not steal nor deal falsely. It's the liar. Don't deal falsely nor lie to one another. This is to cheat. Do not deceive. Do not get by stealth. Do not be a liar. Do not cheat. He says to one another. It's conniving people. Is there conniving people in the church today? You betcha. Certainly. Tax cheats. People say, oh yeah, just put this on your taxes. You'll get more money. Just report this on your, don't report, report this and don't report this. You'll get more money. It's a tax cheat. And understanding the character of our Lord, the nature of our Lord, it's not good. Don't do that. Or business people, so-called business people who pay their employees under the table because they're tax cheats. They tell the employees, oh yeah, it's better because now nothing's coming out of your paycheck. You don't have to pay taxes. It's just cash. You're getting the full amount. Well, that's dishonorable to the Lord. You have the business people who, you know, they trick, they lie, they connive their employees. And they say, yeah, it's better for you because, you know, you get the full dollar amount. And if I, if I were to, you know, put W to you, then I got to pay taxes, all these things. So this is better for you, employee. But really, the employer is saying, I don't have to pay taxes. I'm a tax cheat. You have these business people, people who think like, wow, you know, these business people are so wise. No, a lot of them are stupid. A lot of them are greedy. Filthy lucre. But there's some out there that honor the Lord. If you're a Christian, honor the Lord. If you're paying under the table and you're a Christian, repent and don't do that anymore. W2 your employees. If you don't want a W2, 1099 them. You know, the independent contractors. Don't be it. The Lord is witness to everything. You're going to give an account when you stand before the Lord. I don't say these things to hurt your little feelers. You know, I read the Bible and my little feelers are hurt all the time. It's because, you know, I read the Bible and the Holy Spirit convicts me. And certain things, you know, the Lord, the Lord is, you're not, you're not going to feel conviction anymore. You know why? Because the Lord has fixed you. Certain aspects of your life. And when the Lord is done working on you, you're going to be dead. That's when the Lord is going to be finished. When you're dead. It's, it's a process. The, the rest of your life, we're being made new every day. Transformed into His image. Spiritually, we're created in the image of God. But He's not done with you. We're being transformed into His image spiritually. Jesus Christ in you. And so look what happens here in verse 12. He says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely. Have you heard people say, I swear to God. They say it all the time. I swear to God this didn't happen. I swear to God I did this. Come to find out a couple days later, he's lying. She's lying. He did it. She didn't do it. He did it. Whatever it is. They're lying. The fear of the Lord is untaught. Don't lie. Don't be a cheater. Don't swear by the name of the Lord 
falsely. People say, oh, you know, I swear to God, I swear to God. He says, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You know, don't be a vessel of dishonor. Be a vessel of honor. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't dishonor Jesus. So look what happens here in verse 13. <clears throat> you shall not cheat your neighbor. You shall not oppress or defraud your neighbor is how that translates. Oppress or defraud your neighbor, nor rob him. You say like, what? Rob him? I'm not a robber. How can I rob him? And you know what's so interesting here? You know, it's, it, you get to, look at what he says here in verse 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor or oppress and defraud your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. This is a very hardcore message for employers. Pay your workers. And pay your workers on time. On time. Not under the table. You ever see these loser employers? And yes, I say loser employers because that's what they are. Losers. They say, oh yeah, I'm going to pay you this. And you know, on this day, I'm going to pay you. And then it comes payday and you say, okay, boss, you know, you know, here's my timesheet. Now, you know, it's payday, so where's my money? And then the employer, loser employer, oh, I can't pay you today. Can I pay you next week? If your boss is like, if you have an employer like that, get a new job. That's not good. If you're an employer like that, repent. That's not, that's dishonor unto the Lord. This person, your employees, they take time out of their life to help you. And you're going to treat them like that? You have these, I say loser employers, and that's exactly what I mean, loser employers. Oh, yeah, let me pay you under the table. And, you know, I, I can't afford to pay you right now. Can, can, you, can, can you give me a couple more days? Who knows how they're coming up with the money? Yes, I say loser employers. You're not a winning employer. People say, oh, don't be so mean. I'm not trying to be mean. But if you're not a winning employer, you know what that means? You're a loser employer. Don't be that way. Pay your employees on time. Because they take time out of their life. They got, they got things to do. They got families. They got whatever. And they're taking their time out of their life to help you? And you're going to treat them like that? That's a loser. Don't be that way. Repent if that's you. And so look what happens here. It says, uh, uh, you know what's so interesting about this concept where the Lord sees us? Don't rob him. Like in verse 13, nor rob him. You see these and, you know, like, you know, don't be a robber. You know, employers can be a robber unto their employees when they don't pay their employees on time. When the Lord says, the wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. That's just one day too. One day, one night, you know, overnight. How much worse is it for the person, the employer, so-called employer who says, I'll pay you next week or I'll pay you extra next payday. The Lord teaches us these are foundational for future understanding, for future concepts unto the Lord. I'll explain it. So you, you say like, okay, verse 13, like, okay, I'm not a robber. 
But then you read this, if you're an employer and you're, you know, skipping paydays for your employees, you're a robber. But it's much deeper than that. These precepts that we're learning are building blocks for deeper things, for deeper understandings. You say, what do you mean? I'll explain what I mean. Turn to Malachi chapter 3, really quick. Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi 3, verse 8, the Lord poses a question. Will a man rob God? You say, whoa. Yet you have robbed me? Yet Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me! Exclama exclama exclamation point. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? You see, they don't even, they don't even understand this concept of robbing. Robbery. No concept like, in what way? Imagine, you know, Malachi, when the Lord says, you know, Malachi, say this to the people. And Malachi says it to the people. Will a man rob God? And instead of the people asking, the Lord says, Malachi, I know what they're going to say. Yeah, you have, but you say, in what way have you robbed? In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Whoa. In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Whoa, that's hardcore. Now, if you're thinking, okay, here he goes, he's talking about money again. I don't want your money. I want you to present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That's it. I don't want your money. People have told me that before. You know, you know what? I think I might go to another church if you if you keep teaching like this. I might go to another church and, you know, how are you going to do financially? I don't care. You know, it's the Lord told me to teach. I'm going to teach. So if in your mind you're thinking, here he goes, he's talking about money again. I don't care about money. But don't rob God. Don't rob God. Turn with me really quick to Amos chapter 4. Beautiful, beautiful Amos. Look at what happens here in Amos uh, uh, chapter 4. But look at verse 6. When the Lord says, also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. The Lord is the one who gave poverty, cleanness of teeth, hunger, no food. You think like, wow, you know, we're poor. We need help. We need help. Yeah, you need help. But you know what? Look at what happens. Still in verse 6 at the end. Yet you have not returned to me. So verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 7, I also withheld rain from you at the end of verse 8, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew at the end of verse 9, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 10, I set among you a plague at the end of verse 10, yet you have not returned to me. In verse 11, I overthrew some of you. End of verse 11, yet you have not returned to me. Verse 12, therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel. The end of verse 12, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The end of verse 13, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Whoa. Look at what the Lord does. Look at what the Lord does. Sometimes people are given poverty. You say like, whoa, I don't get it. Return to the Lord. You ever see people who have yet good jobs, good paying jobs, 
And then all of a sudden they start taking coke. They go to a business party, you know, and in the back room they're, you know, doing their lines, white lines. They're snorting them and then somebody says, hey, you know, give this a try. He gives it a try and boom, instantly he's, you know, caught up in that lifestyle. It just catches him like, you know, boom, instant addiction. And then they start spending, they get their paychecks and they start spending their paychecks on coke. And then, you know, they spend all their money on, you know, on drugs, buying coke. And then all of a sudden they start selling things, selling their TVs, selling their cars, selling their computers, selling whatever, because they want to feed their addiction. They want to feed, you know, uh, buy more coke. And all of a sudden they're in the poor house. Like that, uh, this is a drastic example using coke. But then at the same time, you see like how the Lord gives poverty. I gave you cleanness of teeth, yet you have not returned to me. I withheld rain from you, yet you have not returned to me. Think about no rain on the fields, on the crops. What would that look like? I blasted you with blight and mildew, yet you have not returned to me. This is the effect on agriculture. Mildew on certain plants, it's not good. No harvest. It's like, whoa, that's pretty hardcore. I know it's hardcore. But you know what's interesting? Still in chapter 4, look at verse 4. Come to Bethel. Remember Bethel with Jacob? Beautiful. The pillar that Jacob made unto the Lord in our study in Genesis. Beautiful. Bethel. House of God. Bethel. Verse 4. Come to Bethel. Beautiful, right? And transgress. Not so beautiful. At Gilgal. Beautiful, right? Multiply transgression. The Lord is witness. The Lord is witness. That's why Paul, you know, when there's a guy having sex with his dad's wife in the church. And I don't want to say picture that because it's ugly, but a guy having sex with his dad's wife and they're coming to church and praising the Lord. It's like, whoa. Everybody's rejoicing, clapping their hands. Wow. Praise the Lord, right? Wrong. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, himself a strong witness, powerful in the Lord, says, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. It's not a good thing, you guys, because it's leaven in the church, and leaven leavens the bunch. This guy is doing that, and it's going to impact this other family. This guy's going to do that. It's going to impact this other family. This wife is going to start doing it with another husband. This other wife is going to start doing it with her own son. Levin. That's what the Lord is saying. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord. That's what happened when the Lord's begot, when the, that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Like in verse 4, they're bringing their sacrifices. They're performing the law. 
They have their tithes. It's the sacrifice of Thanksgiving. Their free will offerings. It's in accordance with the law. But the Lord looks at the heart. What's wrong with the heart? What happened to the priests? Maybe the priests, instead of teaching about the fear of the Lord, maybe they started teaching about the love of the Lord. Yes, God is love. God is certainly love. But He's also just. Also just. Never forget that. And I don't say this to freak you out. If, if you're freaked out, praise be to the Lord. Sometimes it's good to have a little healthy dose of, you know, uh, scariness. People tell me, oh, you use fear tactics. It's not fear tactics. I read the Bible, man, and I'm, if you tell me this is fear tactics, then the Bible is fear tactics. I read the Bible, I get freaked out sometimes. That's what brought me to the Lord. Like, whoa, Lord, you don't play games. I'm not going to play around with you. You tell me not to do this, whoa, Lord, I'm not going to do that. People don't understand the fear of the Lord. So, you know, when, when, when somebody says, hey, you know what? I got this, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. You know what happens? Okay, I love the Lord. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. Because they've never been taught the fear of the Lord. Let's go back to chapter 19, Leviticus now. And so, <clears throat> look what happens here now. In verse 14, you... You shall not curse the deaf. It's powerful. You shall not curse the deaf. Now, if you're carnal, you think, why not? They're deaf. Why not? Why can't I curse out a deaf guy? He's deaf. He's not even going to know about it. Let's keep reading. You shall not uh, curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Why not? They can't see it. If a blind guy's walking down the street and I put a skateboard in his path and he trips, it's going to be so funny. It might go viral. I'll put it on my phone, record it, upload it to whatever social media, and it might go viral. Look, I get to make fun of this deaf guy and people are going to laugh. I'm going to get all kinds of likes and I'm going to be popular. I'm going to be cool. Or no, I'm going to make this blind guy fall. I'm going to put a rock in his path. I'll be popular. I'll get all these likes. But the Lord doesn't see it that way. There's no popularity contest with the Lord. He says, but you shall not put, you shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. God sees. Have you ever seen people laugh at another one's calamity? Somebody needs help. And they laugh. Fools. The Lord is witness. And then, you know, you see these things on social media. Hey, look what happened, you know. Look at this idiot. Look at this guy. They're so dumb. Laughing at another person's calamity. It's sad. The Lord is witness. I can understand the world. That's the world. I'm speaking to the church, to Christians people of the way don't do that you need to learn compassion if that's you you need to learn compassion 
Oh, I'm not a compassionate person. Well, get compassionate. Start. Oh, I'm not a compassionate person. Start right now. Right here, right now. Repent and start right now. Because our Lord is compassionate. And the Lord says, be holy for I am holy. And you're not going to be compassionate. Now, it is true that wisdom laughs. We, you know, we studied that from Proverbs. Wisdom does laugh. But that's wisdom. Oh man, that is wisdom. You have to make these rightly dividing the word of God. You have to do it. You have to understand these things. These are hardcore lessons. This is straight up the law. You know, people say, I don't read the Old Testament because that's the law. I'm under grace. Look how beautiful this is. We're in chapter 19. You know how, how rich Leviticus has been thus far? And he's going to get even more rich. Shall not curse the deaf. Carnally speaking, it's like, why not? He's not going to know about it. If I curse this guy, he's not going to know. If I curse this lady, they're not going to know they're deaf. They can't hear me. The Lord sees. Blind guy, make him fall? Who cares? They're not going to know it was me. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. These are things that the Lord is teaching Israel, the camp of Israel, freshly out of Egypt. Don't forget our prior studies. You know, don't do these things of these other gods, the, the Egyptians. You know, the uh, 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 Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. Lands where I'm sending you. Don't be like the Egyptians where I took you out of. And don't be like these people where I'm sending you. What does the Lord say to you and me? Be consecrated unto Him, unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And remember, remember that God never changes. Never changes. But in the entirety of Scripture, what do you see? You see culture changing. Culture shifts. Just like you see our, in our cultures today. This culture shift. But through it all, the Lord never shifts. He never changes. He is the standard. He is the rock. And He doesn't move. The waves crash. The waves move. The current goes. But the rock of salvation, the rock of ages... He never moves. That's who you stand on. Jesus Christ. And that's who you stand in. When the waves get too crazy, that's who you stand in. A strong tower. And so look what happens here. Verse 15. You shall not, you shall not do injustice in judgment. You know, speaks pretty hardcore against the priests, what we're studying in the book of Acts. The priests, the religious leaders, the high priest, Ananias even. These religious leaders making their claim against, uh, uh, their uh, accusation against Brother Paul. In advocating the law, you see, they're breaking the law. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the, of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You see, remember, God is no respecter of persons. So don't be partial to the poor and then honor the rich, the mighty persons. Rich and poor, he's saying, in righteousness, that's what you use to judge. You know why? Because of the poor and of the rich, everybody needs God. Everybody needs Jesus Christ. 
Rich or poor, I don't care. These assessments that have to be made, they're made in righteousness. I don't care if a guy has, you know, a a, a 20-year-old shirt that's been passed on for multiple generations. A 50-year-old shirt, multiple generations, a poor guy. Can't even afford a new shirt. Or a guy who wears a $5,000 shirt, you know, maybe two times. And then he gives it to charity or throws it away. Because it's not new. It loses its luster. $5,000 shirt, $5,000 jacket. $5,000 purse. $10,000 dress. I don't care. Rich, poor, everybody needs Jesus Christ. Be no respecter of persons. You ever see pastors with rich people? Oh, yeah, come here. You know, you sit here. You know, you sit here. Nice, get in the front row seat. Yeah, you sit here. The Bible says don't do that. Don't be a respecter of persons. Rich, poor, black, white, you know, whatever color, male, female. No, you teach. If you're a pastor, you teach the word of God. It's for everybody. All who believe. The word of God is for everybody. Some people might leave because they're like, well, that's not for me. Well, that's fine. You can go and talk to that person and, you know, try to bring that person, win that person for Christ. Pray for that person. But ultimately, they have their own decisions to make. And when somebody rejects Jesus, don't end the fight there. Keep praying for them. You know, come back a year later, two years later, three years later. In the course of time, something might happen. They might realize like, wow, you know what? This guy was convicting me. I didn't like it. He was telling me to get off crack. He was telling me to stop going to the strip clubs. And I didn't like it. Now look, you know, I'm HIV positive. I got this. I got that. Wow, I've learned my lesson. The Lord uses these things to humble people. And when a person becomes more humble, they're more apt. They're more sensitive to the teachings of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You know, oh, this guy, he was so mean. He told me I needed to, needed to repent. I was sexually active. I was having sex with all these ladies. I was having sex with all these guys or whatever. I mean, if you're a girl guy. Well, you know, nowadays, whoever. You know, pastor calls back five years later. You know, every year, check up, you know. Send a little text, you know. Oh, man, I got AIDS now. Oh, man, that's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Yeah, you got AIDS. Yeah, you're going to die. But you know what? You're not going to burn in hell. Praise be to the Lord. One death. Not the second death. One death. Praise be to the Lord. Let's look what happens here in verse um, 16. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. It translates as a scandal monger. You ever see, see people? You know, what's the latest scandal? What's the latest scandal? And they go like little busy bodies, little gossips. The Bible, don't do that. God says, don't do that. Now, people, you know, you could look at the, the, the Corinthian church and beautiful, beautiful, lovely Chloe. I love that girl so much. I can't wait to meet her. I want to give her a big fat hug. It's like, Chloe, I love you. You're so beautiful. Why? Because some, she had a home fellowship and something was happening in the church in Corinth. She says, well, you know, this isn't good. She was the one who told Paul. Say, wow, she was gossiping. 
She's a scandal monger. No, she is not. She was more of an authority figure than the pastors were. She was more of an authority figure than the elders were, than the deacons were. Because she told Paul about it. Paul, this isn't right. There's something happening. Paul finds out, reads Chloe's letter and says, Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay, let me write this letter. I love you guys, but you know what? I have to write like your babies again. I wish I could write to you like you're adults, but I can't. This guy who's having sex with his uh, uh, dad's wife, you know, get him out of the church. A little leaven leavens the bunch. Your rejoicing isn't good. He writes the letter. Signed, sealed, delivered. The church receives it. Hey, guys, we got a letter from Brother Paul. Wow, quiet down. I'm going to read it. They start to read it. You know, what? We're babies? What? He wishes that he could speak to adults, but he's telling us we're babies? Whoa. I bet you, in that church, I bet you you could hear a pin drop. Paul says we're babies. No, he didn't. Imagine Chloe, like in the back of the room, like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go on, Pastor. Go on, Paul. Imagine Chloe there, like rejoicing, like, wow, this is the fruit of Chloe. The guy's reading it in the front of the church. Oh, yeah, Paul says, you know, I wish I could talk to adults, but I got to talk to babies. And there's Chloe. Mm-hmm. You guys, there's a, a, a brother, there's a guy in there who's having sex with his dad's wife. He's 11. Then you have Chloe. Mm-hmm. Not in a judgmental way, but in a sense of like, this, this is dangerous in the church. This is leaven in the church. It's dangerous. What is it going to do the, to the body? Rather than destroy the body, you take this individual and say, no. No more. This isn't happening because the Lord needs to be honored. Look at Bethel in Genesis and look at Bethel, what we read in Amos, Amos 4. Bethel, beautiful. Wow, the house of the Lord. Wow, this is so cool. How beautiful Bethel. And like rightfully so, it is. But in the course of time, what happened to Bethel? Where the Lord says, don't go to Bethel. Look at the last day's church. Knowing that the Bible says judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first to the house of God. Very treacherous times that we're living in. There's nothing new under the sun. Paul writes to us that things written of old are written for our admonition, for our warning. He tells the church in Rome, he tells the church in Corinth. And so look what happens here. Don't be a talebearer. Verse 16, you shall not go about as a talebearer, a scandal monger among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. Notice the double negative here. Nor, first negative, shall you take a stand against another negative. What does a double negative mean? A positive, which is what? Stand for life. Stand for life. You see? The Bible teaches us all these things. 
I am the Lord, he says. I am the Lord. Look at what's happened to the camp of Israel thus far. The Exodus, Egypt's history. They walked on dry ground through the ocean. The Lord feeds them. You know, quail. The Lord gives them manna. And then, you know, like Moses goes up, you know, in the disappears in the clouds. There's the golden calf. And what happens when people were killed? The tabernacle is constructed. The priests are equipped. Offerings are made unto the Lord. How the Lord has shown Himself all this time. And here in chapter 19, the Lord is giving them further instruction. Further, further, further instructions. And it's like, wow, you know what? Why, why would the Lord even... Why would the Lord bother even telling me I shouldn't be a scandal monger, a tail bearer? Why would he even bother? You know, that he, he's God. Like, why, did, why is he concerned about what's going on with my neighbor? He's very concerned about what's going on with our neighbor, with your neighbors. Why would, be, why would God be concerned about how I pay my employees? Why would God be concerned about, you know, if I pay under the table or if I'm a liar or cheater? Why would the Lord care about how I, uh, my gleanings and my harvest? Why would he even care? Oh, he wants Israel to fend well for themselves. You could look at it like that, and I would disagree. But I could understand somebody looking at it like that. It's so that Israel can be self-governing. I don't see it that way. As a people, self-governing as a people. You know what he desires inside of you and inside of me? Denial of self. Denial of self. To esteem another person as better than you. The meek shall inherit the earth. Remember Jacob? How Jacob, he would all, you look, when he wrestled with God, prior to that moment, he'd always say, the God of my father. The God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. And he wrestled with God. And he was limping after the fight. And then he says, okay, you are my God. After that point, after that moment, he didn't say the God of my father. He said, my God. The Lord also changed his name. You know, you're Jacob, but you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel, governed by God. That's what the Lord desires inside of you. A denial of self. Oh, but if I make fun of the deaf guy, you know, I'm going to get all these likes on social media. So, it's dishonoring unto the Lord. If I post a video about this guy, Look how funny it is. Look at this fool. Look how stupid he is. Repent. It is dishonor unto the Lord. 
oh, I, I pay my employee. They're so dumb. You know, I told them that I can just pay them under the table. They get more money. They don't have to report taxes, all these things. And they're so stupid. And, you know, meanwhile, I don't have to pay my taxes. I don't have to pay payroll tax. Stupid. It's dishonor unto the Lord. Don't be a loser employer. And so look what happens here in verse 16. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Now, you read this. Now, understand that this is the law. And, you know, we're getting a, a, a deeper understanding of the Lord and his character and his nature. But then at the same time, it point, all these aspects of the law, they point to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who says, I came to divide. Don't be deceived. Don't think that I came to bring peace. He says, I came to divide. Enemies will be those in your own house. A mother against her daughter-in-law, her father against the kid. All, you know, everybody in the house are enemies. Why? Because the wheat and the tares have to grow together. But in Christ, don't hate your brother. Don't hate the brethren. I've been told before, man, you really hate the brethren. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't hate the brethren. If you could see my knees, you would understand I don't hate the brethren. If you could see my tears, you would understand I do not hate the brethren. People say, well, why do you say it like this? Why do you call employers losers? Well, they're not winners. So what's the opposite of winners? Losers. I'm saying, don't be a loser. Be a winner. I've been told you hate Christians. You hate Christians. You hate the brethren. No, I don't. But let me tell you something. I have a different role, okay? I'm a pastor. By the Lord's will, I am a pastor of Jesus Christ and His church, His flock. I'm going to give you an example of a school teacher. Say, for example, I'm a school teacher of little preschoolers, okay? And the school master says, you know, okay, everybody in the school, you have to love everybody. You know, love everybody, love, love the other children, love, you know, you're a child, love all the other children. But then the schoolmaster takes me aside and has a little conversation with me. And then I come back. And I say, okay, the schoolmaster says, everybody, love one another, you kids, love one another. And I say, oh, we have a guest, let's bring him in, he's a student, let's bring him in. And I say, by the way, he's a child molester. Oh, we got another guest. Oh, by the way, he's murdered 20 people. Oh, we got another guest. Let's bring them in. She's a child molester. And the schoolmaster says, love everybody. Hey, children, love everybody. Unbeknownst to you, remember when I said the schoolmaster pulled me aside and had a little conversation with me? Unbeknownst to you, I was disobedient because I'm, I'm the, what if the schoolmaster pulled me aside and says, Hey, you need to protect these kids. Don't let in the wolves. You have to fight against this. You have to protect against this. And so I come back and I say, Oh yeah, let's invite this child molester in. Let's invite this murder in. Let's invite this other pedophile in. Let's invite the wolf Who's wrong? 
Who's the one in the wrong? I would be the one in the wrong. So yes, there is love of the brethren. Biblical truth. But I want you to read the pastoral epistles. Uh, epistles. Paul's writing to Timothy, his first letter, his second letter. And then Paul's writing to Titus. Read the pastoral letters for pastors and elders. There's some hardcore stuff in there. And then read further for elders, read uh, uh, Acts chapter 20. Very, very important to understand these things. People say, oh yeah, you hate the brethren. You said this against this guy. You said this against this guy. I'm in a different position. As pastor, I have to protect the sheep. I have to protect the lambs. And I have to feed them the word of God. And you know, if there was somebody who says, you know what, I'm praying, I think the Lord wants me to be a pastor, we would have some very hardcore studies. A very close, intimate time of fellowship, of study unto the word, of Kodesh Kodesh. If you don't know what I mean when I say Kodesh Kodesh, that's from our study in, uh, start in Leviticus 1 and listen, get yourself caught up to where we're at. You'll understand what Kodesh Kodesh is. Because it's hardcore. That's why we're told, not let not many people desire to be teachers. Because we're held to a higher account. You say like, well, that's too hardcore. You're too hardcore. That's too hardcore of an approach. Let me tell you something. I've been a non-believer. I've been cold. I've been lukewarm. And I tell you the best way is to be on fire for Jesus Christ. White hot. That's the best way to be for Jesus Christ. Don't be vomited out in the body and expelled from the body. Don't be that way. Those are the words of our Lord. You know, I'm going to vomit you out. Since you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out. Then he says, repent. We have to understand these things. Rightly dividing the word of God. Not rightly dividing the word of Joe Schmo. Rightly dividing, you know, the guy on TV. Rightly dividing the guy I read about, the New York Times bestseller. No, rightly dividing the word of God. And the word became flesh. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Wow, you see, surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Silence is consent. Never forget that. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you see funny business going on in the church, you have to call people out on it. Maybe not publicly, do it privately. Hey, this isn't good. This sexual sin, it's not good. Pull them aside. Hey, you guys, I love you, but this isn't good. It brings dishonor to the Lord. It happens again. Hey, you guys, this isn't right. You need to repent. Don't do this. It's communion time. You tell them, hey, because of this, if you haven't repented, don't partake of communion. It's not for you. Maybe even another warning. You read Titus, certain warnings, you know what? Titus, Paul writes to Titus two warnings. The third time, boom, it's two warnings that Paul told Titus. Warning number one, warning number two, and there is no third warning. It's to say, hey, you know what, I, I, I think you're not a, a good fit in the fellowship. 
I love you. You know, I don't want you harm. I don't wish to bring you harm. But for certain things, you know, you're bringing contentions into the body. Warning one, warning two. I'm sorry, this isn't a good fit. That's how pastors are supposed to be, biblically. That's how elders are supposed to be, biblically. That's how elders are supposed to help their pastors. What if a pastor says, oh yeah, you know what, you're a child molester, why don't you go work with the children's ministry? Oh, you're a prostitute, why don't you, you know, dress like your prostitute stuff and sit here in the front of the church? Now, don't get me wrong. If whatever type of sin, I could care less. I don't care whatever sin. I don't care. But when you come to Jesus Christ, that's my desire. Come to Jesus Christ. You know, you're a prostitute, come to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you're not a prostitute anymore. Because the process begins. You're being transformed. You're being, by renewing of your minds, you reckon the old woman dead. Whatever sin. You know, you're uh, a convicted felon. I don't care. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. You're a new creation. Jesus cleans his own fish. The problem comes is when we don't allow him to clean us. When we don't reckon the old man dead, when we don't reckon the old woman dead, that's when pastors and elders have a job to do. They're not pew Christians. They're pulpit Christians. They have a different role in the church. It's protective for the body of Christ, for the sheep and for the lambs. If you're a pastor and you don't understand this, you need to change your ways and you need to understand these things because the last days are here and they are perilous. And we're just getting started. You need to understand these things and you need to change and you need to honor the Lord and repent of your folly. Say, who is this guy? Who, who, who does he think he is getting off to, talking like this? I'm just a messenger. That's it. Just a paper boy. Like he says here, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. I don't think Paul would be a good fit in the church today. I don't think he would be well accepted in the church today. Imagine Paul telling a guy, in a, if Paul was a guest in a church, and Paul finds out that there's you know, a guy having sex with his dad's wife. And he says, hey, you're leaven. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't fellowship anymore. You, think of what the pastors and elders would say. Oh, no, no, don't go, brother. And they pull Paul to the side. Paul, this guy's the best tither. He gives all the money. Paul, instead of him leaving, why don't you leave, Paul? You're causing division. You don't have love, Paul. You see, I don't think Paul would be well accepted today. Maybe in some churches. The church at large? I don't think so. That's just me. Call me crazy. So look what happens here in verse 17. Oh, uh, rebuke your neighbor and, shall, and, and not bear sin because of him. And that's what, you know, silence is consent. Old Testament and New Testament, silence is consent. Don't forget, Peter himself was rebuked. The first time by Jesus. And the second time he was rebuked by P, uh, Paul. When Peter was uh, compelling people to live as Jews under the law. 
And Paul rebuked him publicly. And I have to say something. If you're going to rebuke another brother or a sister in Christ, you, and we're going to study this hardcore in Romans, you, you need to remove the plank from your own eyes so that you can see clearly. You cannot correct a brother or sister in Christ. You cannot correct them biblically if you yourself are a hypocrite. You cannot. That's like saying two plus two is a hundred. You can't do it. You know, you're going to correct another brother who's a crackhead and you yourself are a crackhead? No, it doesn't work that way. You're going to correct another brother or sister about pornography and you yourself are addicted to pornography? doesn't work that way. About alcohol and you yourself are an alcoholic? No. You are ill-equipped. You have a big two-by-four in your face. You need to remove that plank so that you can see clearly. In order to help another brother, in order to help another sister, don't be compromised. And so look what happens here in verse. And, you know, I have to say, when, when you rebuke, it's not rebuke for, you know, like, get out of here. It's rebuke to say, hey, look, you need to repent. Anytime you rebuke somebody, you have to tell them, repent, 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 repent. Be right with the Lord. Just like the priests in the Old Testament. The whole objective was for people to be right with the Lord. New Testament, the whole objective is for people to be right with the Lord. And they need to repent. It requires repentance. And then the Lord will start His renovation. The acknowledgement of sin. And then the Lord begins His renovation. Verse 18. You shall not take vengeance. This is a difficult one for me. Because, you know, it's like... Uh, turning the other cheek, it's like, wow, you know, the only way that can be done is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. You shall not take vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, 19, do not avenge yourselves. You see these correlations because God never changes, remember. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Remember, you have to protect your heart. You must protect your heart. Don't have grudges. Now, you have to make these assessments. You have to make determinations of like, well, you know, I can't hang out with this guy anymore. I can't hang out with this girl anymore. I love them. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But we can't hang out. Because every time, every time we hang out, you know, we get into trouble. I want to honor the Lord. You, you don't want to honor the Lord. You want to go to the strip clubs. We end up fighting. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. So you have to make these determinations. Because you're not being vengeful. You're not bearing any grudge. But you're making a determination, an assessment for your own vessel. For the temple that chooses to honor the Lord. Protecting your heart. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is what the Lord teaches us, you know. Love the Lord and then love people on these hang all the law and the prophets. That's from Matthew 22 verse 40. I'm paraphrasing. But love God and love people in that order. God first. Remember you, you gave my, I gave you that example of Paul not being welcomed in the church where Paul says, Hey, you know what? I think, you know, you're not a good fit here. You know, you're leaving so... I'm sorry, but that's just, it's not going to be, it's not going to work out. And then the pastor comes, you know, Paul, what are you saying? This guy's the number one tither. Instead of that guy leaving, Paul, you leave. You know what happened? Paul loved the Lord first and loved the people. But the pastor is telling Paul, Paul loves the people, or this pastor loves the people more and loves God less. That's not the correct order. 
It's to love God, love Him first, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and then love people. If that equation is flipped over where you love people first and then you love God, it's not going to work out that way. That's the Methodists got in a lot of trouble that way. Look at the, you know, John Wesley. You know, look at the early Lutheran church. You know, look at the early beginnings of all the, the Episcopal church. And then in the course of time, that equation got flipped over. You know, love the Lord and then people. And then in the course of time, they love people. And then God is by the wayside. Don't do that. God first. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Every fiber of your being, every essence of your being, love the Lord. And then love people. And when you follow that equation, you're going to love people so much where you're like, you know, you're telling them to repent because you love them, not to hurt their feelings, because you love them. And you want, you're concerned about the life to come. Yeah, it's going to hurt their feelings. And you completely understand that and you don't want to hurt their feelings, but you know it's going to hurt their feelings. But you tell them anyway because you know that that individual is going to be standing before the Lord one day. And in your heart, in your heart of hearts, you desire for them to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And by their own behavior, by their own wickedness maybe, by their own crack, by their own strip clubs, by their own whatever they're doing, every action, every step in that direction it's less, they're less inclined to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Servant. So what do you do? You speak. You're not silent. You tell them. And then the choice is for them to make. Look at what happens here in verse 19. You shall keep my statutes. statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Remember, we studied this a little bit in Exodus, and when we when we mentioned it, I said that you know you're gonna see in future chapters and passages where the Lord doesn't like a mixture, such is the case right here in verse 19. A mixture, like Jesus Christ says, you know, I wish you were uh, uh, hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. You know, don't be a mixture. Be on fire for the Lord. No mixture of you know the world and the church. No, the, the world and Jesus Christ. No mixture. Be on fire. Be consecrated unto Him. Pure unto Him. Chast unto the Lord. Remember, ten virgins, only five are wise. The other five are foolish. And so look what happens here in verse 20. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine. Now, concubine here is a sexual slave. That's how it translates, a sex slave. Uh, you know, a, a, a female that is, her role is like a, a, a sexual slavery. And I have to say, you know, I don't like that this is in there. And, you know, no disrespect to the Lord, but me personally, I don't like that this is here. And I have to say something for my sisters in Christ, the married ones and even the unmarried ones. There are certain things in the law which were permitted. They were permitted. And it speaks to the weakness of men. I mean, and a lot of it has to deal with sexual natures. I mean, look at sexual sin in the church today. Look at the rise of pornography. 
Look at men who cheat on their wives. If we were under the law and we would stone all those guys, there'd be like three guys left. And I say a church of a thousand. And the pastor stands up, you know, and says, okay, everybody who's on pornography, everybody who's cheating on their wives, stand up and stand over here. There'd be like two guys in the crowd. All right, you know, a thousand guys, you know, 800 guys on one side, and then two guys with the women, two guys still sitting with the women. And then we, the command is given, okay, in accordance with the law, and according with the writing of, of Moses, we're going to stone these guys. Everybody be dead. And I'm not trying to condone or gloss over this sexual sin. I'm not trying to, you know, I don't, I don't like this aspect of concubines. I don't like it. And I want to hearken to Matthew 19 really quick. Turn with me really quick to Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, the Lord reveals something here. Matthew 19, verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, to Jesus Christ, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Because historically what happened, a husband could just say, I'm done with you. You know, I don't like you. You burnt my breakfast, so I'm, we're divorcing. That's what would happen. But for the wife to be divorced, if she couldn't find another husband, if they didn't follow the law, where you know, in the law there were provisions for you know the, the, the successor for that wife, she was like on her own. A female on her own, a widow. And you know, it, it, it kind of harkens to what I mentioned about Ruth, because we're gonna study that hardcore when we get to Ruth. But the Pharisees, they were trying to trap Jesus. In verse 4, and he answered and said to them, have you not read? I love this so much. Have you not read? Have you ever said that to a learned guy, so-called learned guy? Someone with a doctorate in theology? Someone who's a professor at Bible college, a professor at university? Or someone who's a professor at Catholic, Catholic school? Under Catholic doctrine? And you tell them, have you not read? Citing scripture. They get mad. Because it's their pride. It boils. Their pride boils over. Have you not read <clears throat> that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So they're citing Moses. And our Lord, he goes pre-Moses, pre-law. He goes to Eden. Eden. In the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So if you're a woman, if you're a female, if you're one of my beautiful sisters in Christ, I have to tell you something. We're going to read these passages in the Old Testament and New Testament about divorce, about multiple wives about concubines and you're not going to like it and i have to tell you i don't like it either but you know what our lord does these pharisees is it lawful to divorce for just any reason and jesus says have you not read and what does he do he goes pre-moses pre-law and he points to eden We read these passages in the law about concubines. And we're going to see these certain additives. And a lot of it has to deal with sexual, sexual natures of men. And it's going to bother you if you're one of my sisters in Christ. And I have to tell you, it bothers me too.
But look at Eden. Paradise. Paradise. And yes, paradise was lost. But paradise is gained again in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's look at what our Lord teaches here, still in Matthew 19. They said, in verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. You see? Because of the hardness of your hearts. It's the man. It's the sin nature in man. The sexual desires and passions in men. Because of the hardness of their hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, from Eden, it was not so. A lot of times, that's a big problem with the Hebrew Roots Movement. I mean, if you're of the Hebrew Roots Movement and you're listening, you know what I say? Go back further. Go to the Eden Roots Movement. Go back further. Then you're going to realize if you if you go to the... If you go... If you're like the church in Galatia and you're desire, you desire to go back to the law, not hearing the law, thinking that righteousness can come outside of Christ, number one, you're in error. But if you're going to continue and not listen to the schoolmasters speaking of the Holy Spirit, speaking of the law and in the power of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you're going to continue and not and ignore those holy roadblocks, I say keep going. Do you want to go back to the law? Scratch that. Go to Eden. Go pre-law. Learn about paradise. And you're going to learn about paradise lost. You want to learn about paradise gained? Come back to Christ. Repent of your waywardness. And come back to Christ. And understand that paradise gained only comes through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. In verse 8, Jesus Christ said, From the beginning... From the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. You see? So if you're a sister in Christ, if you're one of my sisters in Christ, we're going to see these things in the law about concubines and multiple wives. And you're going to see these Men with, you know, wife number one, two, three, four, five, concubine number one, two, three, four, five, multitudes of women. And you're going to see a little bit of callousness in their heart. In some cases, a lot of it of callousness in heart. And if you don't like it, you're in good company. I don't like it either. But the number two, Jesus Christ says, it wasn't so from the beginning. He points to Eden. He points to paradise. And a lot of these things have to deal with the sexual nature. If not all, like 98% have to deal with the sex nature. Look at the church today. If every man who was addicted to pornography or cheating on their wives sexually, you know, going to strip clubs and doing all these crazy things, if the command was given, stone all of them. There'd be like three men left. Three men left. It's a huge problem in the church today. Huge problem. Where do you expect the power of the Holy Spirit to work? Through these men? I say so-called men. 
Where do you expect the, the power of the Holy Spirit to work through these guys when the Holy Spirit, they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them? And if you're a man, repent. Go and sin no more. If you're caught up in this sex stuff, go and sin no more. And I love here, just as a little additive to this study, this topic, in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. It is better not to marry. Now, me personally, I don't like talking about my opinions about marriage. I don't like talking about it. It's not for anything. It's not for a bad reason. It's not for like a sinister reason. It's because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, especially of the married people. But I have strong convictions about marriage. Strong convictions. And Paul has similar advice to what the disciples are saying here. If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But then Jesus Christ chimes in. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. You know, the Pope needs to read a Bible. The Pope, the head of the Catholic Church. I'm not advocating Catholicism. The Lord rescued me from that. But the Pope needs to read his Bible. Because in accordance with the teachings of Rome, you know, the priests, they can't get married. They have these sexual desires, sexual passions, and they can't get married. So what happens? They have sex with kids. They have sex with boys. They have sex with nuns. That's what happens. Talk to an adult. Have you ever talked to an adult that's been molested by a priest? I have like such a range of emotions because I'm sad. I want to weep. I want to cry. But then I'm also angry. I want to go back in time and have words with that priest. In some cases, not even words. I have to be very careful with my anger. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But you talk to a kid who's been, talk to a 30-year-old guy, 40-year-old man, big, strong, tough guy. And then you talk to them about Jesus Christ. And they hate the name Jesus Christ. You know why? Because you talk to a 30-year-old guy, big, strong, tough guy, 40-year-old guy, big, strong, tough guy. And you say, you mentioned Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, they're taken back. To those moments where they were molested by a priest. Sexually penetrated by a priest. A little boy. And they hate the name Jesus Christ. Because immediately they're taken back to those moments. And they never want to hear the name Jesus Christ. Because of what these sick pedophiles have done. Vengeance is the Lord's. The Pope needs to read a Bible and he needs to repent. Look what happens here. And still what our Lord says. He says, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs. This is like straight up castration. There are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. If you're a pastor or you're an elder, make yourself a eunuch. Not, I'm speaking metaphysically. 
be a eunuch for Jesus Christ, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, for the honor of our Lord. Be a eunuch. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, be a eunuch. Because you're going to talk to men, you're going to talk to women, you're going to talk to boys, you're going to talk to girls, you're going to talk to old people. And you're, you're like a, a makeup artist, you know? You make them beautiful. You're like a personal trainer, you make them beautiful. You're like a fashion expert, you know, you make them beautiful. For what? Their wedding. That's what you do. So let's go back to Leviticus. And I wanted to touch on this because it's like, wow, this is in the law about a concubine. And I know it's like, wow. Me personally, I don't like it. I wish it wasn't there. I don't like it. Concubines, multiple wives, I don't like it. But have comfort in the words of our Lord when the Pharisees cited Moses and the Lord goes back even further to Eden. It was not so. You had Adam, you had Eve. And when the disciples say, wow, it sounds like it's better not to be married. Well, what was before Eve? Adam. Paul teaches a little bit on this. Very important to understand. Peter even says, for those who are married, don't, don't be like you're married because you're about the father's business. And that's what happens with maturity in Christ. That's why I don't like teaching about, I mean, I don't like, I'll teach on it when the Bible touches on it, but sometimes people ask me about my opinion about marriage. I don't like answering. It's not anything bad. It's just, it's a different perspective. That's all it is. So verse 20 of Leviticus 19, <clears throat> whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine, which is a sexual slave. And if you're a, a, my sister in Christ, Remember the words of our Lord, what we looked at in Matthew. Remember these and bind these on your heart. Bind these on your mind and remember Eden because that's what the Lord did. He talks to the Pharisees and he says, remember Eden. Because we're going to see things in the lot that you're not going to like. And a lot of it has to deal with sexual sin. The sexual nature. And his provisions that were written in the law. Because of the hardness of hearts of men. Remember the words of our Lord. He goes back to Eden. Remember the words of your husband. Capital H. Not lowercase h. Capital H. Him. Remember his words. Going back to Eden. So this concubine. You know, whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. Now, these are things that we studied already about the trespass offering and the manner of which this is offered unto the Lord. The provisions, the instructions for how this is to be offered. Now we're seeing like, you know, further instructions in the usage and application of this law. I'm not advocating the law. I'm just explaining this to have this deeper understanding of the character and nature of our Lord. And so he says in verse 22, The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed. 
and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. You see, forgiveness, people right before the Lord. That's the objective, Old Testament, New Testament. That's the objective. In verse 23, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Translates as unclean. You're like, wow, how can fruit be uncircumcised? When you come into the land and plant all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy. A praise to the Lord. But look what happens here in verse 25. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increased. I am the Lord your God. You see? So you plant you know, trees for food for three years. Don't eat it. Shall not be eaten. The fourth year, it shall not be eaten. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. And I have something to say about this. When we think about the fruit of the Lord, be patient with the fruit of the Lord. Give it time. It needs time. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Turn really quick to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So when you plant these seeds of righteousness, give it time. It might be whatever number of years. Give it time. Sometimes it's like, you know, you, you, you love the Lord, you trust in the Lord, and you want immediacy. Lord, I want to see fruit in this guy's life. Lord, I want to see fruit in my wife's life, in my husband's life, in my kid's life. Be patient. Be patient. Remember the woman who was bleeding for 12 years? Look at her patience. Not just her patience. Look at her faith, how it grew. You would think... Put yourself in a situation where you're bleeding, menstrual cycle for 12 years, and nonstop, bleeding, bleeding. Think about how weak you are, losing a lot of blood. Think about your countenance, how you'd be like weak. Not only that, you have to say, unclean, I'm unclean. You're ostracized from the camp. And instead of her faith decreasing, her faith increases to the point where the Lord feels power going out of him when she touched the hem of his garment. Her faith increased. And if that's you, like, man, I've been praying for this. I've been praying for this. I've been planting these seeds. Be of good cheer. The Lord will reward your faith. But it's always in His time. Be patient. When you want a taste of the fruit, be patient. Just as in the law it is written, three years, you can't eat the fruit. Fourth year, you can't eat the fruit. Fifth year, have at it. Have at it. You can eat it on the fifth year. You may eat its fruit that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. Let's look at verse 26 here in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. This is magic spells or soothsaying and sorcery. Don't do that. A lot of people get into trouble because they start doing this magic stuff. You know, they start doing the Harry Potter stuff. They start doing all the sorcery. They start doing the soothsaying. Going to the fortune tellers. The Bible says don't do that. 
Don't do that. Reading their horoscopes. You know, Christians, you know, they, they read their horoscopes in the paper. Or if you're old school, in the paper. But, you know, they have apps for horoscopes. Get this little notification. This is your horoscope. Throw those horoscopes in the garbage. They're called horoscopes, but you can call them horoscopes. It's a horror story. Don't be that way. The Lord is the one who guides your steps. He plants you and He guides your steps. Let Him. So let's go here in verse 27. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. This is why you see like Orthodox Jews today. They have the, you know, the uh, curls on the sides of their head. And sometimes, you know, the, the priests, they have these big old beards because it is written in the law not to disfigure the edges of the beard or shave the, the sides of your head. It is written in the law. I'm not advocating the law, but you see these in the certain Orthodox Jews, certain sects of the Jews that we have today in, in, in Israel and even in, you know, outside of Israel. Me personally, some of these camps of this uh, Orthodoxy that we see uh, among the Jews, you know, this, these are the makeup of what is prophesied of the 144,000, what we read in Revelation. Because in adherence to the law, they're going to be following the law, but then they're not going to be understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah until we get into Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, a future event, the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans 11, 25. So this orthodoxy that you see today, it's like, wow, you know, all this time has passed from the giving of the law and like they're still observing the law. So let's look what happens here in verse 28. You shall not make any cut, uh, cuttings in your flesh for the dead or incisions in the flesh for the dead, nor tattoo, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. Now, if you're a cutter, cut it out. Don't do that. It's not honoring unto the Lord. If you have tattoos, you know, I don't care. People, sometimes Christians get into trouble. You know, pastors get in trouble because they say, oh, yeah, tattoos are evil. You shall not have tattoos. I'm not of that camp, you know. People have their tattoos. And if you have tattoos, you know, you're not going to burn in hell. You know, you need Jesus Christ in your life. You need Jesus. If you die without Jesus Christ, then you're born in hell. But I'm saying, you know, have Jesus Christ. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you'll be saved from the fire. But then after that, something happens after that moment. You know, in your old nature, maybe you want to get another tattoo. In your old nature, maybe you want to get, uh, you know, some ink on your leg, ink on your arm, whatever. But as a new creation in Christ, pray and seek the Lord. And the Lord will teach you. He'll teach you more. He'll teach you more about your own body, this vessel, which is not a vessel of honor unto the Lord. So I'm not going to hammer you. If you have tattoos, I'm not going to come down on you and say like, wow, you know, that happens a lot. And sometimes people want nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Jesus Christ because they're told, oh, you know, you have tattoos, you're going to burn in hell. This is the law. And it's not like I'm cherry picking and say, well, this is the law for this. And, you know, you see a lot of correlation between the Old Testament and New Testament. And these are things that we can, you know, lean heavy, hardcore on, you know, such as sexual sin, homosexuality, bestiality, lesbianism. Blood, you know, these are cutting. These are things that are Old Testament, New Testament, where, you know, when you have that Old Testament, New Testament, that's for sure an abomination before the Lord. Because the, the repetitive nature, old, old Covenant and New Covenant, 
The Lord repeats it. So look what happens here in verse 29. Do not prostitute your daughter. Do not prostitute your daughter. Translate says, do not pollute, wound, or prostitute your daughter. I have to say something here about sex trafficking, which is a billion-dollar industry. And the number one country for this market is the United States of America. Good old land of the free, home of the brave. Do not prostitute your daughter. You have sex trafficked kids. Kids who are sold into slavery, sex trafficking. Kids who are prostituted. And you know what the worst is? When it's by mom and dad. That's the worst. Mom and dad. They want money. Instead of going out and getting a job, what do they do? They prostitute their kids. Mom and dad, instead of getting a job, what do they do? They prostitute their kids and then they go to the foster homes. Oh yeah, we'll take in a couple more kids. Look how loving. We're good parents. We're loving. Yeah, we'll do everything by the book. Meanwhile, what are they doing? They're prostituting children. The Lord sees everything. Everything. Disgusting. Do not prostitute your daughter. To cause her to be a harlot. Translate says to cause her to be a whore. You see, have you ever seen like loose living in a female or male? Loose living. A male who has sex with all kinds of different girls. And then a, guy, a lady who has all sex with different, all kinds of sex with different kinds of guys. And you know what I often do in my mind? I start to wonder about their life. You know, how oh, this 20-year-old guy, just 10 years ago, he was 10. Yeah, I can do math. This 20-year-old guy who's having sex like crazy, you know, he's the, like a rabbit. And just 10 years ago, he was in the formative stages of understanding deeper things. And if somebody just told him. And, you know, I say somebody, but what about a mom? What about a dad? And, you know, nine years prior to that, he was a little tiny boy. A little tiny baby. What happened? Or you see, like, you know, a prostitute. Yeah, you can look at it and be like, wow, what a crummy lifestyle. And it is a crummy lifestyle. But hit the rewind button in their life. Man, just 20 years ago, he was like an 11-year-old boy, 11-year-old girl. These formative stages. What about when she was five? What about when she was a little tiny baby? What happened along her path? And that's what the Lord is teaching here. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. Parents have huge responsibilities. Huge responsibilities. Upbringing, the way you raise a child, the way you raise a young daughter, the way you raise a young boy. Huge responsibilities. And the Lord is telling the camp of Israel about it. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. Lest the land fall to her into her harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. Notice here that the depravity of, you know, uh, 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 of, of this sexual nature, the depravity of the land. And you hit the rewind button. And it, it's harlotry. You hit the rewind button even further. Parenting. Improper care of the little ones. Improper care of children. 
five-year-old, you know, one-year-old, five-year-old, ten-year-old, fifteen-year-old. By the time a kid's fifteen, it's done. You're done. I mean, like, they're like ready to leave. You know, if you have liberal kids, then you know they're gonna be with you till they're fifty. But if you've done a good job and you've raised raised kids, you know they're gonna be out of the house by age twenty. It's crazy. Parents, you will give an account. And the Lord, you know, look at how the Lord teaches us about the depravity of the land. Remember in our study in chapter 18, the previous chapter where we studied last week. When, um, um, I'm just looking here. Uh, um, in verse 24, chapter 18, verse 24, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. And he speaks about sexual immorality, even Molech, you know, sacrificing children. For by all these, the nations are defiled. He speaks about homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality. It's not good. The land is defiled by all these behaviors, all these acts. And here the Lord teaches us about prostituting a kid, prostituting your daughter. All kinds of wickedness in the land today. All kinds of wickedness. And so look what happens here in verse 30 in closing. So you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I'm the Lord. Have reverence to revere the sanctuary of the Lord. You know, a hallowed place for the Lord. This hallowed place, this tabernacle that's constructed, it's holy unto the Lord. Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's you, the temple. It's you. That's why the Lord says, you know, he tells Moses, write this. Be holy, for I am holy. He tells Peter, write this. Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. It's the, don't pay attention. Give no regard to mediums, which are uh, 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 like the, the, the wizards and so-called knowing ones. It's the wisdom of the world. Don't pay them any attention. Familiar spirits, it's talking to the dead. You know, in some cases, you're going to see passages in future uh, uh, chapters, future books, how the mediums and familiar spirits, they're kind of interchangeable. And so the familiar spirits, is, it's talking to the dead. Necromancy, a necromancer, translates as a ventriloquist, you know, a puppet. And the necromancer, the medium, they're like a puppet unto the dead, speaking the voice of the dead. Satanic, it's evil. Vessels of things unholy. The Lord says, don't even do that stuff. Give no regard to them. Don't even pay attention to them. And these mediums on TV, you know, they have shows about mediums. Don't even watch that. It's garbage. Don't pay any attention. It's evil. It's demonic. It's not real. It's fake. It's a hoax. It's Satan hoax. He wants to trap you. And so look what happens here in verse 31. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So you see passages like this, then you're going to understand why the Lord does what he does with Saul, King Saul, who goes and seeks after the witch of Endor. You're going to understand all these things because the Lord said it. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What do they do? They do it. Same like in the church. Paul has to write, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What happens to church? They do it. What about today? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What do they do? They do it. Don't do this, don't do this. You need to repent. Don't judge me lest you be judged. That's the church today. That's the condition of the church today. Verse 32, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. 
I am the Lord. There's a lot of wisdom that is in the elderly. In the church, I mean, you have wicked, I mean, the, 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 the rise of uh, uh, sexually transmitted diseases in nursing homes, it's on the rise. Old people, you know, taking their Viagra, their sex pills, and then they're having sex, and you see uh, gonorrhea, syphilis, you know, all kinds of different things for old people. I'm talking about old people in the church, Christians, who don't mess around with that garbage. But there's a lot of wisdom in the elderly. They have life experiences walking with the Lord. They've made mistakes. They've learned from their mistakes. They're, they've learned. You know, Native American cultures, you know, you go to the longhouse, you know, and you're there, you know, and then all of a sudden an old person stands up. Everybody gets quiet because there's wisdom. The tribe, the life, almost like the life of the tribe, the wisdom of the tribe is housed in these elderly people. And I'm not advocating, you know, uh, uh, native cultures, native belief systems, but I'm giving an example about wisdom among the elderly, Christian elderly, not the wicked elderly, Christian elderly. There's a lot of wisdom housed in these people, a boatload of wisdom because they've been tried, they've been tested. Sometimes they've failed and they've learned and they can teach the younger, just like Paul writes to young Pastor Titus about old women, teaching the younger women. These ministries of old ladies that can be unto the younger generation, the next generation. So when the old lady dies or goes to sleep, the next generation can fill the gap. Raising the next generation, the next generation. And you're going to see generations in the Old Testament that forget the Lord. You know what that means? The elderly were quiet. The elderly were either shut up by the younger generations or the elderly remained quiet. And so you have a generation that passes that doesn't know the Lord. Think about their kids. And they really don't know the Lord. And then think about what they say. Oh yeah, yeah I've heard in the history books. I remember grandma, she was talking about, I don't know the Lord. And Oh, but let's raise up these Ashtoreth poles. Let's worship Molech. In the camp of Israel, God becomes forgotten. That's what happens. We're going to study it. And so this is what he says here in verse 33. And if a stranger, so foreigner, dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. It's like an Old Testament example of Gentiles grafted in. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. You see, love God, love people. On these hang all the law and the prophets. That's what the Lord teaches us. You see it exemplified in the law. And what do you see? The law is exemplified in Christ. Not exemplified, but fulfilled in Christ. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Don't ever get on your Christian high horse. You know, I have to say something. You know, you, you hear Moses say, be holy for I'm holy. You hear Peter say, be holy for I'm holy. And then you, you start to apply these things in your life and you choose holiness over wickedness. Something happens, your carnal nature starts to die and you're going to realize, wow, I don't fit in this world. That's what you're going to realize. You do not fit in the world. Not only that, but you do not fit in the church. Speaking of their carnality, not yours. And then you're going to find some form of comfort among the remnant. 
But even in the remnant, I, I, the remnant is so beautiful. And I love the remnant, Old Testament and New Testament. But even among the remnant, there is this... Something can happen where it's like an elitist mentality. It's not good, but it can happen. An elitist mentality. And have you ever been talking with somebody among the remnant? And they start talking about this wickedness. And yes, it is wicked. There's the acknowledgement of, yes, this is wicked. But then in your mind, you start to realize, wait a second. If this person knew a fraction of what I had committed, I would be disavowed. I would be disowned. And that's what the Lord is teaching here. Remember where you came from. Israel, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know, the Lord pulled you out of alcoholism. The Lord pulled you out of sex addiction. The Lord pulled you out of drug addiction, all these things. And then the Lord cleans you up. You know, time has passed. You've been patient with the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is now evident. And now you're going to get on your high horse? No, get off the horse. Remember from where you came. Compassion. Remember we started a couple verses ago in the beginning about compassion? Have compassion. It's very, very important to understand these things. Have compassion. Be compassionate. But you're going to find that you know, the more holy you get the work of the Lord in your life, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, you're going to realize this world is not your home. You're going to be in Christian circles and you're going to not fit in. You're going to be among the remnant and you're still not going to fit in. And you know what? It thus fulfills what we're taught in Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews 11 really quick. In Hebrews 11, what do we see? The halls of faith. By faith, in Hebrews eleven three. by faith, we understand. And then he goes on to write in verse 4 about Abel, about Enoch. In verse 7, about Noah. Oh, okay, so in verse 4, Abel. Verse 5, Enoch. 7, Noah. 8, Abraham. 11, Sarah. Uh, 17, Abraham. Verse 20, Isaac. Verse 21, Jacob. 22, Joseph. 23, Moses. 24, Moses. 26, oh, there is no 26, <laughs> 30, Rahab, verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, more prophets in verse 32, in verse 35, women, you see like, wow, this is so great a cloud of witnesses. Look at chapter 12. Still Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But now, let's go back to Hebrews 11. And then, let me tell you about how these people, how this great cloud of witnesses, how these halls of faith, how they fit in with the world. In verse 36, chapter 11, verse 36. Well, about the women in verse 35, received their, uh, uh, received their dead raised to life again. And here we go. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain better a better resurre resurrection. Verse 36, still others, 
had trial of mockings and scourging. These are the halls of faith. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses like these people that are mentioned. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, uh, uh, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, more prophets, these women. Trial of mockings and scourgings in verse 36. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. This is how the world treated them. This is how they fit in in the world. These beautiful, beautiful people. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. Were tempted, it's just to be, they were tra- translated as to be tested. Were slain with the sword. They wandered about. This is, they wandered about as vagabonds. So much for the world, you know. Where's home? Where's home in the world? In sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. You see, this is how these beautiful, holy, godly people, beautiful, righteous people, faithful people, this is how they fit in with the world, with tortures, being sawn in two, wandering about as vagabonds in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. You wonder, like, whoa, all these are like righteous people, and they did not receive the promise? Wait for it. Here in verse 40. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You see how beautiful? How beautiful is the handiwork of our Lord? You know, if you're in the world and you feel like, man, this place isn't my home, you're in good company. Very, very good company. In the halls of faith, righteous, holy people. And so let's go back to Leviticus 19 in closing. In Leviticus 19, verse 35, You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, width, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hint. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. These are units of measurement. Honest. Don't have dishonest scales before the Lord. You know, we talked about the you know, cheater employer. Don't be that way. And so in verse 37, Therefore you shall observe all my statutes and all my, judge, all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Do them. Do them. I'm not advocating the law, but understand the nature and character of our Lord who never changes. And don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of the word. And how do you be a doer of the word? You got to do. You got to apply the word of God in your life. Make the pages white. Every jot, every tittle, it goes into your mind, into your heart. And all of a sudden, you have a Bible, you know, however thick it is, and it's just white pages. You know why? Because every jot, every tittle is now on your heart, now on your mind. And then you go out and do. You apply and then go out and do. Don't be a hearer only. So we're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, we'll pick up in chapter 20 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.